Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. Welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Today we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff, like what to do when lunch at work may be coming mandatory very soon. A groomsman who doesn't feel like the groom is really being a good friend anymore. And a hostess who wants to get ahead of dinner plans with a house guest. And I'm especially excited because we get to hear more of your feedback on the coffee question and a postscript segment from the rituals of dinner on invitations and RSVPs. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. I've been so bad about my New Year's resolution. I know, we hinted at this last week. Do tell. No, there's nothing to tell. I can't tell, first of all, in the air. But second of all, it's like, I've just been bad about it. I need I need help. I need reminders. I need rubber bands snapping on my wrist anytime I let the wrong word fly. Like, But I just haven't been good about it. And so it's we're coming up on May next week, or week after next or next week. And... I feel like it's not a resolution I want to just let go by the wayside as of, you know, March or something like that. I do want to refocus, but I'm losing it. I need more listener suggestions for alternative words to use. So as a, as a reminder, Wizzy yeah. Post made a New Year's resolution that she was going to try to clean up her language. Yes. Try to use fewer words that might give offense. Yes. If they and, slipped out in the wrong moment. Because usually just, you're really good yeah. about... But also just that are unnecessary. Like, do I need to add this? I keep wanting to say colorful, but it's more like explicit language to my dialogue. And I don't. And so I'd love to take it out a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what. I will join you in this resolution. Oh, okay. I I, I like the emphasis on the unnecessary, not just potentially offensive. Yeah. I listen to our show each week once it comes out on air. And I always hear my own verbal tics, and I say to myself, I need to get better about that. And months ago, it was indeed. I was always agreeing by saying indeed. indeed. And I've I've managed to reduce my indeeds, but I've noticed that more recently, (laughs) I've I've started saying I love it or love it. And I do. I love it. It's a great way to show enthusiasm and support. But if you say it all the time, it starts to lose some of its meaning. So you need like a variety of words to go to. Exactly. Okay. So maybe we could challenge each other. You said maybe not colorful. Explicit. Explicit. We'll try to think of a range of options for you when you need to really add emphasis. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. And maybe you can help me start to pair some of those unnecessary filler words out of 
my speech as well. I like it. We will tag team our language over the next few weeks and see what comes of it. Deal. High five. High five. (laughs) Should we get on to some questions? Let's do it. All right. It looks all right, but what am I supposed to do? That's the question. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question is about groomsmen grumbles. I like that title. It came from our listener. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I'm recently engaged and the first wedding purchase I made was my Emily Post wedding etiquette book. Thank you very much. I'm writing with a wedding question for a friend that's leaving me flummoxed and does not seem to be covered in your encyclopedic tome. A good friend of mine has been asked to be a groomsman in an upcoming wedding for a high school friend. He accepted and the wedding is this October. As the wedding approaches, he's having doubts about being part of the big day. He and his friend have drifted apart, texts go and answered, and there are long stretches with no communication. And he gets the feeling that he's been asked on, perhaps, to pick up the slack of the less responsible but colorful best man. This is also a financial obligation that is a little difficult to take on. He asked my advice, and I just don't know. On the one hand, I wouldn't want someone in my wedding that really didn't want to be an attendant and that I wasn't particularly close to anymore. But on the other hand, I do think someone should see out their commitments, and withdrawing could be a real bridge burner for this friendship. What's a groomsman to do? Thank you. Asking for a friend. No, really? No, no, we believe you. We, we really do. do. <laughs> um, and best wishes for your coming uh, wedding as well. I think that you grasp the the big picture etiquette implications that this groomsman has accepted this job. And at this stage, there's really not a whole lot that he's going to be able to do. It would really take an extreme circumstance or situation for him to back out. At the same time, there are plenty of things that he can do to maybe try to make the rest of this process go as smoothly as possible. And yeah. It's a great place to pause and just make a little reminder notice to folks out there that have concerns or questions about accepting the responsibility of being a groomsman or being a bridesmaid, that it is okay to say no. People do say no, and they say no for all of the reasons that you bring up and mention here that is a real commitment. And it's also, it's okay to ask what's involved ahead of time. Say, you know, hey, are you hoping for us to all buy the same suit? Mm -hmm. Are you, you know, am I going to need to pay for X, Y, and Z? It's okay to ask those questions before you commit. But- Now you're on board, so let's get this ship on course. I I advise that you really think about um, putting yourself in the position of the groom who's trying to organize this wedding, and this person could have a lot on their plate right now. The lack of communication or the the lack of quick response to communication, there could be all kinds of reasons for that. He might not know the answers yet. He might be waiting for discussions with his parents or his new in-laws or his future spouse to resolve. Or he Um, might also just be getting 50 text messages is a day at this point, right? It's it's possible. It can be hard to sort and prioritize. So maybe give them a little bit of latitude, but be persistent and be consistent in your communication. If there's something that you really need to hear back on, try to let someone know what the time frame is that that you need for action. If you're talking about booking a plane ticket or getting that suit and you need to get it tailored and you need to be sure that you're on a time frame, you also want to be clear and upfront about what your budget is. 
what you can afford. It's possible <laughs> that the people organizing the wedding will be able to help you suss out alternatives. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily absolve you of your financial responsibility, but there can be ways to work it out between you so that you're within your budget. And that's one of the hard things about giving the advice that we always give, which is check in about how much you're going to be on the hook for if you say yes early on is that that can change as the wedding goes. And it could be that what you're on the hook for changes or it could be that your own financial situation changes. So Mm -hmm. it can be something where you had every intention of honoring that agreement in the beginning. And now nine months later, you know, you got a wedding to go to and it's really starting to cost something. So it's not uncommon for this type of stuff to start to crop up. And It sounds like one of the issues is communication with the groom. Mm -hmm. So I advise you to be absolutely meticulous and thoughtful about how you do your communication so that you're not contributing to the issue. We started saying last week on the program that two roods don't make a right. Right. And in this case, two roods aren't going to make this wedding go any more smoothly. Right. Don't let your communication break down just because his has. Exactly. Good. It's possible that this is going to be the way it is with the groom right up till wedding day. And I had one other thought that might be really helpful, and that's get in touch with those other groomsmen. Tell them your situation. Start to open some other lanes of communication. Be really honest with them about wanting their support. Be frank with them about what your situation is. And Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. There are all kinds of ways to have those discussions. Be prepared to listen to them. Be prepared to ask for their buy-in. Be prepared to propose what it is that you would like to get their support on, but then also be ready to negotiate and be ready to adjust your plans if that support's just not available or isn't forthcoming. I hear people talk all the time about how tough or trying things can be, and it's not always a result of someone else's bad etiquette. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there are just 
things that have to be done in order for a wedding to happen, it's going to be difficult. It's going to take work. It's going to take time, effort, and energy. And no amount of perfect communication is going to make it any less hard to do those things. So you can do your best to have good etiquette and have good relationships, and there still might be some real work involved in this situation. It still might— Or just some frustration or some emotion, yeah. And I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind and make that allowance. Make that allowance for yourself and for the other people that you're going to be dealing with. You know, I've I've noticed, at least with my friends, that about— Three to even like six months after a wedding is when friendships start to kind of return to normal. That wedding is usually a big deal and it's a big deal in someone's life. And there's kind of almost like a crash that happens afterwards because you've spent all this time on this one thing that's over in like 10 hours, eight hours. And it's, it is almost like wedding withdrawal. I don't know. Was it like that for you after your wedding? Kind of just like a there's bit. a bit of like, whoa. Well, and, and even with that woe, it's still the only thing that you're thinking about. It's the yeah. most immediate thing in your mind. And I love that idea of in that window that's three to six months post-wedding, it's a great time to check back in with people because lives are starting to normalize again. And it, it might be a real opportunity to initiate the next phase in a relationship. Yeah. And I heard some questions in your question about the quality and nature of this relationship to begin with. Give it that time. That might be a better time to investigate and really ask yourself some of those questions in a more serious way. I really, really think that's a good idea. We hope that helps. And once again, best luck on your coming nuptials. Our next question is delicious. Help a type A hostess. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My question revolves around when friends ask, what can I bring? I love and appreciate the offer, but feel I never have a good answer for them. I'm a bit of a control freak, so if I'm having people over, I tend to have the full meal planned. This way I get to try even more recipes. This practice eliminates asking them to bring a dessert or appetizer. My husband and I also don't drink very much. I may have a glass of wine occasionally, but it has become an ongoing joke that every time people come over and bring alcohol, we have way too much leftover that eventually is served at the next get-together, or it goes bad think open bottle of wine. As of now, we have a healthy stockpile, so alcohol is out. I would like to take people up on their offer, but I'm at a loss. Bringing flowers would be lovely, but I think it would seem rude to ask. Maybe a game to play after dinner? Any creative solutions you could recommend would be greatly appreciated. Best wishes, Type A Hostess. I think type A hostess nailed the answer in her question, which is ask them to bring a game or something. I think that's actually a great idea. And, you know, you can turn people down. You can say, nope, I've got it all covered. I just want you to bring yourself or yourselves. (laughs) Even though you're, as you admit, a control freak when it comes to these types of things, I would say there's no harm in putting out a little bowl of mixed nuts. There's no harm in putting out an extra plate of chocolates with your dinner. Those are things that usually go over really, really well. And I did want to get to your question about asking for flowers. I think you're right. I think that if you ask someone to bring a flower arrangement or a bouquet of flowers to your dinner party, that somehow it's not the same as saying, oh, sure, you know, bringing over a bottle of wine would be great. Because while the flower's beauty is enjoyed by everybody, it kind of isn't the same as purposefully bringing a bottle of wine to share or purposefully bringing a dish that goes along with the meal to share. It does feel more like you're asking someone to decorate your party, which it's funny, but it has a different feel than when someone else is going to physically enjoy 
this food or wine that they bring. Would you say the same thing about little party favors for everyone? I'm thinking about those uh, the crackers that are sometimes on your plate at New Year's. Oh when yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. That we do. Um, yeah, I wouldn't unless I was co-hosting with someone. I wouldn't task them with bringing anything that's decoration or party favor type stuff. Instead, I would keep it to food items. I think that's the way to go. But if you don't have anything, it really is okay to say no. I do. It's funny, though. I just said that, and the original thing we had suggested was a game. And and even though that's entertainment, it's still something everyone would participate in. And I feel like that's different from decorations or, like you're saying, a little favor, a little party gift. Yeah. Type A hostess, I hope that at your next dinner party, you have the confidence to either say, hey, bring Twister, or to say, hey, you know what? Just bring yourselves. That would be so wonderful. Have fun hosting. Our next question is titled, Let Me Leave. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I work in a small office with nine other people. Since everyone is often in everyone else's business, that's the nicest way I can put it, and we often work long hours together, I really value my hour lunch break. I often use the time to work out, run errands, or just get out of the office and have some me time. Several coworkers take my leaving the office personally, and one is even trying to implement mandatory staff lunch get-togethers. When we have staff lunches, it just feels like an extra hour of work with no break during the day. I've told my coworkers that I need the time to get my personal business done, but that seems to fall on deaf ears. How do I explain to my coworkers it's not personal and my alone time at lunch is needed for my own sanity and to be a better team player during the rest of the day? Sincerely, Becca. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, Becca, I really sympathize with your situation. Me too. In fact, underneath your question on our script for the day, Lizzie says, Dan has a good history of this. <laughs> and she's so right. And my first bullet for my answer for you was, yep, this is me. <laughs> Try a family business sometime. Talk about being in each other's business. And yeah. I have, like you, felt the need to really carve out that alone time and that space in life. And at the same time, when I am presenting and talking about business etiquette, I oftentimes talk about exactly what your coworkers talking about, at the importance of making time to get to know your coworkers socially, that if you only spend business time, work time together, your relationship can become pretty one-sided. And it doesn't need to be a lot of time, but to carve out a little bit of time to get to know the people that you work with socially. So um, I often find myself advising people to attend that holiday, get together or gathering at the end of the year, or to accept that invitation to the summer barbecue at the boss's house. Even if 
it feels like you're giving up a portion of your 4th of July weekend to go spend with your work colleagues, that it's an opportunity to build and grow those relationships in different ways, and you never know how that's going to end up reaping rewards later on. Can I toss an idea out there? Please. I also I want to respect the fact, too, that, that workers legally do have breaks, and they, mm-hmm. they legally do have time off during the workday, and that... I don't think you should feel like you have to be friends with everyone, but this is a small company. This is nine people. And I think that's one of the reasons why Dan's going for the advice that he is, is because it is a small and intimate work setting. And that does kind of make a difference to this in this situation. And I think if you already had plans on that 4th of July weekend or you always spent by all means, family and social, your own personal social life come first. But I do think that the idea is try to find ways to connect and maybe you can find ways in your own way to connect. But those small things of just asking how somebody's doing, commenting on, oh, I didn't realize you watched that show, too. That's so cool. I do as well. Little teeny tiny chit chat. It can go towards building this so that when you take your hour at lunch break for yourself, you don't have to worry about people judging you for doing it. I know that sounds weird. They shouldn't judge you anyway, but they are, apparently. That's what you're feeling. No, and it often happens when someone always sequesters themselves for lunch or or goes away and is by themselves. Oftentimes, in the interpretation of other information, coworkers, opinions defaults to the negative. But I really want to respect what Lizzie just said also about um, you're allowed time off, you're allowed time to eat your lunch, and just because you're working somewhere doesn't mean you have to be friends with everyone who's there. So balancing those two things is can be tricky. I think you've really laid the groundwork well here. You've already talked to your coworkers about how you need this time and space just for your own mental clarity. A compromise that we reached at the Emily Post Institute was that we had a staff lunch once a week, and we all got together once a week for that staff lunch. If you can make your participation that lunch, if you can talk about um, agreeing to be part of that and introduce the idea that there's a real effort made to keep that lunch a social occasion. That was something we really made an effort to do at the Institute, and I really appreciated it. And a little personal story I'll share about managing this type of of conversation difficulty was that my mother and I carpooled to the Emily Post Institute for years. And we used to have a rule that we would allow ourselves to talk about work while we drove out of Burlington until we got to the Richmond exit, which was about 10 or 15 minutes down the road. And once we crossed the Richmond exit, our conversation had to be about something that wasn't work. Work Work-related. So we switched to our our mother. And sun roles, we switched to our outside work roles. And that was really, it was nice to have that clarity and it was really helpful for our relationship. Yeah. For Becca, I think the best thing that you can do is go to HR, go to the manager who would be kind of implementing this type of thing and say, listen, I completely understand this and I'm all for us getting to know each other better, bond a little better. I think it's a good thing. But I would love to suggest that it be once a month or every other week, something so that you can still use that time the way that you are used to being able to that really helps your life run more smoothly. And I think that any manager or something, when you come and say something positive about it and then offer a suggestion that would help make it be something you can really participate in, I think they, they'll see you're coming from a good place and a place of wanting to join, not this place that maybe they might think now, like you said, is that, that they take your leaving the office personally. And Lizzie's the master of sample scripts. <laughs> I think that you've got your sample script in the last sentence of your question, which is that as you've talked to your coworkers before, you've said that that this alone time is needed for your own sanity, but also to be a better team player during the rest of the day. Good and I think language. keep the emphasis on that, that, that you're committed to this work, you're committed to being a good coworker, and this is how you need to take care of yourself to do that really well. 
thank you for your question, Becca. We really appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck moving forward negotiating this potentially tricky situation. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. My cousin Lizzie Post has experience with house guests, so I'm going <laughs> to offer her this next question. It's titled, Of course you can stay, but are you staying for dinner? <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I recently found myself in an unfamiliar hosting situation. A good friend of mine is having some housework done and needs a place to stay due to the fumes being used in the renovation process. He requested just a place to sleep and promised to stay out of our hair as much as possible. We were more than happy to have him, as we have plenty of room and had no prior engagements. My question is, what are my hosting responsibilities? My main concern revolves around food. I do not believe he is expecting us to cook for him, but I'm not sure how to broach the conversation. I would love some famous Lizzie sample <laughs> language for how to ask if he will be joining us for dinner any of the nights he is staying. I would feel uncomfortable eating dinner without him while he was at our house, but I'm not sure of his schedule, if he's even going to be home around dinner time. Sincerest regards, Lauren. Oh, Lauren, I totally feel you on this. And I, I like the fact that we're getting this question before there's any problems. Like you just you never know how long it's going to take or what someone's really going to be like when they get to the house. It's kind of nice to hear about someone that sounds like they're already in good stead with the people that they're staying with. I I think you just broached the subject. And as a host, I actually I think either of you could approach it. I think he could come to you and say, hey, I know I'm staying here. I don't want to intrude on your meals, but I don't know whether you want me to grocery shop or you want to just all cook together. I just didn't know how you want to run your house while I'm here. So I'd love to know. And I'm happy to do whatever. That would be the guest talking. And then if it's the host or hostess, I think a, a quick like, hey, Jack, how do you want to handle meals while you're here is a really easy way to start. I think with some people, you might want to get a little bit more specific because you don't want to run into a freeloading. Oh, yeah, I'm their guest. Yay. Everything's taken care of kind of situation, which guests should never think, by the way. Hosts like never assume your guests are like, you know, free labor and guests never assume that your host is just going to like take care of every, every, every little thing. And, and if everybody tries to take care of the other person, everybody gets taken care of. So sample language would be, um, you know, you're welcome to eat with us or maybe do you want to buy and prepare your own food and meals or would you like to contribute to ours and just eat with us each meal? And I think getting that word contribute in is good you know, or like contribute to groceries and then just eat whatever it is that we're making for the night. And then you can even say, obviously, we'll consult you on what you like to eat. You know, you don't want to serve them something that they don't care for. But I think getting that word contribute somewhere into your language of, you know, we'd love to have you. Do you want to contribute to meals? Do you want to make your own? Do you want us to just cook for you and you give us cash? I mean, However it works, you can, as the host, invite that as a as kind of a way to run. I would also be a little bit careful, though. If this is just an overnight or maybe two nights, I might just go ahead and offer to treat my friend personally. I might not think about it too much. If it's really going to be three, four, five days, then yes, absolutely get that contribute language right out. And again, that's all based on your own personal financial situation and what you feel comfortable with. So if you don't feel comfortable... Basically, you know, just saying, oh, just eat with us. Don't worry about it. Don't pay. I think it's okay to bring that up. 
I like how in mm. in your thinking, both from the host and the guest perspective. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too complicated. No, no, but you're, okay. you're you're allowing for either person to open up two possibilities, and yeah. and either one is okay. The one of not participating, you really are just going to take care of yourself. This yeah. is the guest, or that you're going to try to work out some accommodation where you're eating together, and and you have to figure out what that is. Yeah. Lauren, you are a truly good friend for opening up your home to someone in need, and I really hope that this goes very smoothly for you and that you can all enjoy a lot of time together. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. That's the last of our questions for today. Thank you for sending in your questions. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us through Twitter using the hashtag awesomeetiquette, or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860. It's time for our new favorite part of the show when we get to hear your feedback. Our producer, Hans, is back again with what's emerging as a classic etiquette question. Hans, what do we have today? Well, today we are taking another look at a goodie. And that's the question of where it's okay or not okay to bring a to-go cup of coffee. So this question we have featured in feedback a few weeks ago. But since we did that, we have received so many interesting ideas and opinions that we wanted to come back to it and talk a little bit more about instances where people feel it's okay to actually take a coffee beverage because we've covered a lot where people don't feel like it's okay. So Jessica on Facebook wrote in and said that I live in San Francisco and there are many brunch places that have up to an hour wait. I always order more coffee, so I'm not taking business. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Away from the restaurant. She says she never gets complaints about it. Gina on Facebook asked the question... Isn't it rude to bring food or drink with you and not bring enough to share? Shouldn't I offer to bring whatever I bring for myself to the group I'm visiting? So I'm wondering if she's asking, can you bring something as long as there's enough for anyone? It's, you know, the gum in the classroom sort of idea. Meredith from NYC offered that if you know in advance that the place you're going to does not offer the type of beverage you are hoping to have, they only have hot coffee when you want iced or they don't have an espresso machine or perhaps the coffee is terrible... That would give you an out and let you feel better about bringing coffee into a restaurant. Which is interesting because this idea of expectations of what will be available when you arrive somewhere was seen as just the opposite by may I offer you a drink, which is a great nom de plume, who said that if someone comes to my party with their own drink, my impression is that they are assuming I would not have anything to offer them that they would like. It also suggests my event is just one stop along the way and they will tote along their to-go cup 
to another event afterward. Finally on this topic, Leah, another listener who emailed us, thinks that while coffee should have limits, she does bring up an important point in regards to other type of to-go containers. So Leah is a rabbi, and she says that she happens to have a medical condition that requires her to remain well hydrated at all times. And she carries a plastic water bottle in her pocketbook. Because she is constantly thirsty, she has her water bottle with her in business meetings, in lectures, and in synagogue, where she keeps it in her bag but does need to drink from it periodically during the course of two-plus-hour services. So a variety of opinions, thoughts, and reflections on the question of where can you take a to-go coffee cup. There are lots of points of etiquette to consider here, and I have found this discussion illuminating. <laughs> it's given me some new perspective on this particular issue. Well, for issue. me, it's just like the pizza toppings question, and it's like these small things that actually do kind of have big implications at times, or or could really be affecting the people around you, and you don't really realize just how much something that you think is a little thing can actually be a big thing. Or something that other people think is a big thing, and you're like, no, that's really not a big deal. I wouldn't be surprised if we continued to hear feedback on this question, but I I think for the sake of our show, we need to limit (laughs) this discussion and move on to a new topic. I agree. (laughs) That's right. And before we end this particular feedback section, (laughs) we have a quick but very important correction to make. Ah. Yeah. So a few episodes ago, we featured a discussion about wedding invitations and how far it's okay to stretch that list. So inviting people uh, way beyond your sphere, uh, maybe in search of gifts, whether or not that's happening. So during that conversation, Lizzie, you said that you should not invite the president of the United States unless you have a personal relationship with the president of the United States, extending out this metaphor of hyperbole of invite the craziest people you can think of. The ultimate guest. The ultimate guest. That's exactly right. Turns out that we are terribly sorry, but that was incorrect advice. We have learned here at Awesome Etiquette that you should absolutely 100% all the time invite the president of the United States to your wedding. We heard this from several listeners who did that, just like Peter from Carborough, North Carolina. I have it on fairly good authority that if you do invite the president of the United States to your wedding... He will send you a signed card congratulating you on your wedding and declining your invitation. And another one of our listeners, Leora Falk, who did the same thing, has generously agreed to share a photo of the signed note that she got from Barack and Michelle Obama when she invited them to her wedding. Dan and Lizzie are going to post that on Twitter if you're curious to see what that looks like. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I... I just want to be a little bit clear here. The advice that we were actually giving was about whether or not you're receiving uh, gifts, whether if someone can't attend a wedding and then the idea is, oh, if you invite someone, you know, of great importance, you know, should they be sending a gift even if they don't know you? And the point was you should only be inviting the president or Peyton Manning or any other giant celebrity of of such note if you really know the person because it does obligate them to send a gift even with their regrets and it could be a small gift and I appreciate that the president and and Michelle Obama do send a card and I will argue you can look at that as a gift because it is from someone you know of of such celebrity and such importance I had a very similar thought okay. when I was here because I said to myself, oh, boy, you know, if you do send the president, if you do make that that real reach, yeah. <laughs> does that then obligate him and and his wife or her and her husband in some way? Yeah. And 
Perhaps it does, but I, I do like that perspective that even the personal reply from someone with that stature of that importance is yeah. in some ways a gift. And in some ways, it's about playing the, the social expectation game in a way that does put them in a, a bit of a, a position of being obligated to do that. So yeah. I, I, while I think it's, um, it's lovely and it's fun, it's also worth thinking about and, and really only doing it if you're going to treasure and appreciate that reply card as the gift that it is. And I was really surprised to learn, Hans, you're, you're the one that told us this, that this is like really a thing, that is. this is actually a popular thing to do. Massively, and, massively yeah, popular. And I had no clue that this was something people were doing. Yeah. I didn't and know, don't have you? been doing it for years and years. So yeah. people have stories about getting them in the 80s from Reagan. Wow. Uh, yeah. So from the Clintons, from the Bushes. So wow. presidents have been doing this for, for quite a while and people have been inviting celebrities and presidents to their weddings for some time. Unbelievable. The social secretary for the Kennedy White House was a woman named Letitia Baldrige, yes. who wrote an etiquette book. She was a She's contemporary awesome. of our grandmother's, and um, it hasn't been updated as recently or as frequently as Emily's book, but it's um, a- another remarkable source. And presidential etiquette and international diplomacy and protocol is a whole uh, field unto itself yeah. that, that really is a lot of fun to participate in if, if you get interested in it. She's very good, too. I do refer to her book often for detailed protocol. And a great big thank you to everyone who has sent us feedback on our questions, on our answers. We really appreciate it. This really is becoming one of my favorite parts of the show. So thank you for joining the discussion. Time for the postscript segment of our show where we dig deep into a piece of etiquette. And today we're going back to our beloved The Rituals of Dinner by Margaret Visser. And this section is found on pages 107 and 108. And it delves into dinner invitations and RSVPs. And it made me giggle a little when I read it. So I was like, let's let's share that with our listeners. It begins. Since invitations, and especially dinner invitations, can be fraught with hope and danger. I love how, just how dramatic she's able to make the world of entertaining. Uh, She can turn a phrase. It is so fun. So, can be fraught with hope and danger. And dinner parties are dramatic events at which decisions can be made and important relationships initiated, tested, or broken. The act of inviting is often surrounded with care and regulation. How invitations are written can be a matter of strict etiquette. They should still, ideally, be handwritten. And until quite recently, it was not done in high society to send them in the mail. They were supposed to be delivered by hand. For socialites, invitation cards, like Christmas cards, are physical expressions of how much honor one can muster. The outlay of time, effort, honor, and care by people who take hosting seriously can be considerable. Lady Sybil Colfax, a London hostess famous in the 1920s and 1930s, was capable of writing hundreds of dinner invitations in a month. She wrote them at home, in trains, at every spare moment, just as a different kind of woman would never waste time while she could be knitting. Colfax invitations would pour into people whose company was greatly in demand. Resistance was futile. 
Brian Masters writes, she simply issued another and another. She would mount up scores of them if necessary until the prey eventually succumbed like a fox pursued by hounds through sheer weariness. Her nearly illegible handwriting was famous. People used to puzzle over their invitations for days trying to make out when they were supposed to appear for dinner and who the other guests would be. One usually placed the card on the mantelpiece and glanced at it from time to time, hoping that its secrets would suddenly be revealed or threw it on the floor in hope that an odd angle would make it all clear. But very soon, they would have to reply. The guest's obligation is in the very first place to reply as soon as possible. That has not changed. Hosts should be told within days, the Victorians made that 24 hours, whether guests will be coming or not, so that substitute invitations can be issued to similarly dazzling people. Once an invitation has been accepted, it must at all costs be honored. Nothing, wrote Emily Post, but serious illness or death or an utterly unavoidable accident can excuse the breaking of a dinner engagement. The flatness and clarity of this ruling rests on a guest's knowledge of what goes into a full-dress dinner party or even a much simpler but carefully home-cooked meal. Of the hard work, the cost, the skill, and attention to detail which every good host expends on guests, it would be unthinkable for polite people to neglect playing their part and risk ruining the host's evening and that of the guests who do go. Thank you, Margaret. (laughs) And Emily, we got in there for a second. It was great. I I love to hear about the continuing importance of the RSVP. I do, too. It is so critical. But that hostess really surprised me. She sounds awesome. I mean, could you imagine just being badgered with, like, invitation after invitation until you finally say yes? Talk about what to... I mean, this woman did not accept the term ghosting at all. Well, and and, and not only could I imagine being badged like that, it it inspires me to not take no for an answer and to aim high, to think about entertaining and hosting and to say, you know, I want that person to come. I want to know that person. I'm just going to be, I'm going to ask. You're going to do it. Yeah. I love the fact that for me, having someone else other than us lay out how important it is to RSVP, that what it really means to a host when they've prepared food. And I love that she ran the gamut between a full dress dinner party and eating even a simple home-cooked meal. I couldn't agree more. Each week, we like to close our show with a celebration of good behavior. For today's Etiquette Salute, we hear from Sarah. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. My name is Sarah. Um, I'm an author from Indiana. I'm a big fan of the show, and I'm glad I get to do this. Since I am an author, um, I spent a lot of time at Starbucks, and I was in there, and I ordered my tea. I got situated, I got comfortable with writing for a little bit, and then naturally the tea goes through you. This gentleman was right across the table from me, and so I just asked him, um, I was like, hey, can you watch my stuff? I just do it for like personal peace of mind. And so he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I sent it to the bathroom. And I came back, and I thought he would just kind of be still doing his own thing on his computer. But he had stopped and turned in his chair to face my table. He didn't even thought what he was doing. His hands were folded. He was, like, 
watching my stuff. I think I just said thank you. And he was like, yeah, no problem. That was just definitely something that I have not seen a lot of. Did he just like actually like, stop what he was doing? Like, can I get out of his own little world and actually help someone else? Even just like the most menial of tasks, obviously, really left a big impact on me. It definitely touched me. It definitely did. I'm trying to kind of go the extra mile for someone else next time. Sarah, thank you for sharing. It really is the little things that can make a big difference in life. And we appreciate hearing about your example. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. Thanks to you, our audience, for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And you can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible, as you're getting to know, Hans Buto. 